I'd like to welcome everyone to today's broadcast. Today's guest is John Hall. John's been a law enforcement officer for 12 years. And today we're going to discuss mental health, how it affects officers and the separation of being able to have that resiliency set up to where we're able to separate family life, what we see every day, and having to carry that baggage each and every day that, you know, he puts his uh, gun and badge on and goes out there to serve us. Hey, good afternoon, John. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Eddie. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. Thank you for asking. And then just, you know, to start everything off, what led into you joining the force? What piqued your interest to actually have the career as a law enforcement officer? Originally, I, I didn't plan it. Um, I had actually uh, I'd worked for Walmart for quite a long time and realized I had to get out of that. Uh, my dad just happened to be a deputy. And originally, I was going to try it for the state troopers, but I was just too young, inexperienced, and didn't know the job enough for their academy. Uh, I ended up coming back and deciding to get hired on with the sheriff's office. And uh, funny story, my dad had actually had about two years past retirement. He was afraid to retire. And he's done 27 years of this. That's all he knows. So when I got hired on with the sheriff's office, he had to retire. So I pretty well kicked him out. Awesome. So it just led into the other two. You kind of just like filled those shoes and kept it going for the family. Huh? I kind of did. Yeah, we we actually had a picture in the uh, newspaper where I was being sworn in and he was leaving, and uh, the sheriff was presenting him his badge and gun. So that was that was pretty neat. And then so. In your time, like when you first started out, so like, so with you being in 12 years and, you know, you being blessed with your father, you know, also being an officer, you know, how much difference from, you know, as your father served as an officer to when you joined and the culture of law enforcement, how much have you seen that change through the course of, you know, well, your childhood growing up with your father being an officer and then you joining as well. How much has that culture actually changed around from the witnessing part to you actually indulging in that? It's It's been quite a lot. Of course, growing up, I was only exposed to some of what went on. Um, similar to what we're talking about today, you know, my father only let out so much information. He didn't want to expose us to more than he had to. Uh, yeah, any of the bad stuff that happened, he didn't want us having to, to know about that and go through that ourselves when we didn't need to. Um, but when I got hired on, I really started seeing the full picture of everything from, you know, how police officers and deputies had to handle situations, the stuff that they were in. And then I could see how that kind of, handed down to the people that was involved in your lives and it it kind of fulfills the picture of growing up when he was a deputy uh you know that i didn't understand at the time but everything kind of fell into place once i, I started and then now okay now with, with that being said you know you you understanding that he was kind of sheltering if you will you know some of the things that he was exposed to on a daily basis and everything but and then and with you serving and you know your, your family and everything else too how much of that bottling aspect of it and you know trying to shield others away from that how does that play into like mental health and you know having to try to flush that baggage from the day before or even just the, the, the past incident that you know you had a handle you know and, and keeping that consistent mental flush how does that play on the mind and you know keeping the focus it it, it can make a big issue uh, there's always people within your department that you can speak to <clears throat> one of them, we have a small department we only have about six right now um, enough to keep a full 24-hour crew going and I was working the same dispatcher and it really helps she knows the job she knows a lot of what goes on so we can talk about a lot of stuff and understand each other whereas it's harder to open up and your personal life to someone, you know, whether it be 
a close friend, a spouse, whatever that may be, it's it's a bit harder to open up to people that don't experience the same thing we do. And it's to a point it's not healthy. You don't want to expose certain people to more than they have to know. But at the same time, you have to have someone somewhat close to you to be able to talk to and explain, you know, what you've done and just get it off your mind. When you're too worried about talking to people about your experiences, then it can definitely start causing problems within yourself. It, it really just starts eating at you. And the, the longer you go, the worse it, it'll get. 100%. And, and I'm glad that you're open to talk about this. I mean, because it is vital, you know, for law enforcement, military personnel to have this conversation. So one of our previous shows, there's a, a, a Kayla was requesting to join, but it says the device isn't connected. But so Kayla, if you're listening, if you connect the device, I can add you to the stream. And then, but so in one of the previous shows where we were discussing this very topic and you know, I brought the question where I know you said you've got the small department and everything else like that, but you know, how restrictive, you know, we are, or law enforcement officers are of, you know, us contacting our superiors or, you know, other even fellow officers with that, that fear of, you know, admitting certain things or fear of being put on leave or being afraid to walk into to Sykes door to even have a real life conversation. You know, so and you see so many officers that they, they restrict that and they carry so much baggage. And, and as you just pointed out, I mean, that, that could be so self-destructive and damaging as well, too, that, you know, do you have any suggestions on, you know, to provide to the fellow brothers and sisters or even to the superiors? Because the superiors need to be, you know, understanding this conversation as well, too, to where if they see more open door, more accepting you know, of the fellow officers to actually come in there and release some of that. So, you know, are there any kind of suggestions that, you know, let's just say from, from your mind's eye of what would make you more comfortable to speak to others or how fellow brothers and sisters, you know, should be able to at least talk to another fellow brother or sister or, you know, to talk to their superiors. Any suggestions on how to make that conversation to engage it rather? Or, I mean, how would you suggest it? It really depends on the person that's wanting to get out what they've been holding back and the person they're trying to talk to, such as uh, <clears throat> if you have an older supervisor, a lot of times they've got that very tough, callous demeanor about them. And you don't want to go talk to them because you are afraid that they're going to think, you know, you're you're weak or you can't handle the, the work. When that's not the case, um, everybody deals differently. Maybe they have been able to, to deal with everything and be okay with it without needing to open up. But they have got to understand that not everybody is the same. Right. Everybody needs to be able to talk in a different manner. Um, some officers can handle certain situations, just find others that may bother. That doesn't mean that they're, they're weak or they can't handle it. Everybody's mind's different. I'm actually extremely lucky. Um, on our rank, we have a chief and assistant chief. And that's that's all our rank. Unless, you know, they're both busy, then we have a fill-in. But they're both very understanding. Um, they'll listen to what you have to say. They, they understand where you're coming from and are understanding that you don't handle the situation the same as they do. And that's not right or wrong it's just the person and uh, I'm very lucky with my chief because he is actually active military and has been deployed uh, two or three times I believe so he's really seen a lot that can uh, be stressful and bother somebody mentally so he's really understanding of, of being able to talk about stuff and, and that it, stuff bothers one person that may not another, and that's okay. Um, but you really just have to find that person that you do feel comfortable with. Um, even if you, you're kind of taking a chance about it, they may view that 
in a, a somewhat negative light that you can't handle the situation that I did. And you're going to feel afraid they're going to think that. But you may just find somebody that is understanding and that can talk to you and, and talk about situations and, and try to try to help that get out. And in, in my view, it's it's very tough to do, but it can also be worth it. At most, they may think that you can't handle the same things, but at best, it can help you out greatly and actually give you somebody to explain everything to. And everyone needs it. Everyone needs somebody that has experienced things that, that know it can affect you positive or unfortunately negatively a lot of times with our job. 100%. And so, you know, kind of going back into like with, with your situation with your father, you know, being law enforcement where, you know, a lot of times it's the, the persona a lot of times that, you know, we feel we have to carry that, oh, hey, I'm tough, I can take this and things like that because of the career, which it's, it's they kind of go hand in hand. But, you know, again, going back to the what others think when we do ask for help, you know, so like going in, was there anything like, not even necessarily in the early parts of your career, but was there anything during your career that you were exposed to or, you know, responding to a call that affected you more so to where you felt you could have spoken to somebody about, but you kind of bottled it in? Or have you always been open about, you know, sharing certain things that may bother you a little bit more? Because, you know, a, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, talking about things and admitting things, it doesn't make us weaker. It makes us stronger because we are able to have that flush. But again, a lot of times we're always thinking about what the next person's going to think of us. And especially when it comes to our superiors, because of that, oh, I don't want to be put on leave or them to think I can't handle the job when, you know, in fact, that's not the case. So, you know, one of our previous broadcasts, you know, Chris was talking about the fact that, you know, the guy was a 15 year guy and, you know, he's seen, he's been shot, been stabbed, you know, pulled babies from dumpsters. But what did it for him was seeing a dog get hit by a car. It's, it sounds kind of ridiculous, but realistically, it's the and, and what you just said is perfect where, you know, we all handle things on a different level and things may affect us differently than it affects the next individual. So it's it, it is important. That's why I'm saying that hey, here's Christopher Hoyer. I'm going to join him in the broadcast real quick. Hey, Christopher, welcome. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm blessed. Hey, Christopher, this is John Hollis, the individual I was telling you about. And, and John, this is Christopher Hoyer. He was with the Phoenix PD. And, you know, he, after 18 years, he retired, wrote the book, uh, you know, When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight. And we're, today's discussion is mental health, as you know, Christopher, you know. And uh, I just asked John that, you know, if, since his career began, you know, if he ever ran into an incident that, you know, he wished somebody would have been there to be able to speak with but really kind of held back or if you've always been open, you know, as you are now, John. So, I mean, was there ever anything that happened early on that you kept with you for years or months or whatever the case may be that you wish you would have been more open or you wish somebody else would have been there? There, in all honesty, I have been very lucky. In my career. I haven't had to deal with too much that's very scarring. I guess I could say, but yeah, there are still calls that you deal with that does affect you. And the earlier in my career, the more capped off I would be about everything. It really wasn't until I started experiencing uh, some uh, depression in my personal life that I learned to deal with. And then I started being able to open up and talk more about it because like i said that affected me more than some of the other stuff that physically happened in my life which goes back to some some people handle situations differently than others but the longer i've went the more i've been able to open up and actually use uh a lot of what i've been through to to help me to help others and really to make some calls turn out a lot better than they they could have and then now, so to kind of give a background, well, I'll let you give the kind of the, the background as well too, Christopher. 
in regard to, you know, that same similar situation as far as the, you know, I know you had multiple critical incidents, you know, during, you know, your service and being able to express that and share it with others. If you want to kind of, you know, touch base and kind of piggyback off of what John just said as well. Yeah. I mean, mostly throughout my career, it was, uh, you know, I was, uh, about 20 years you know, when I got hired out in 97, it was, it was taboo to speak out about certain things. So, uh, toward the end of my career, I started to speak out quite a bit and did really well with it for about a year. And then my, uh, my brass kind of started turning their back on me. And so I became a little more protective of what I was telling people at that point in time, which ended up being probably the worst thing I could have ever done. Instead of, uh, you know, seeking out the proper help, at the at the proper time, I did the exact opposite, and then so when uh, you know after some major critical incidents kind of went went by the wayside, and I was doing just fine, and then when more happened, um, I shut down instead of instead of continuing on doing what I, what I probably would have benefited from. I shut down and lost several several months of time of just stupid, you know, being uh, being that typical guy like nothing good. Well, well, but I wasn't. So. You know, and another thing, too, to kind of touch on what, you know, John said as well, too, you know, because John was saying about how his superiors, how he's been lucky that his chief is actually, you know, open to be receptive of, you know, him going to him. And I know, Christopher, that you and I've had the conversation before about how, you know, time has changed a lot to where, you know, promotions and advancement in law enforcement today is more on the long the lines of like test taking rather than actual you know time in and service in and things like that to where you know you didn't really feel open about going and sharing with that you know and like john was saying as far as you know his chief and everything else is being able to be acceptive of that so how how is your ongoing so as you see things throughout because it's the you know, you, you can't say when there's another incident because every day that, you know, you suit up and you hit the streets, incidents are going to happen. It happens. So do, do you do a frequent check to where you talk to somebody or do you just wait until there's an incident happens that kind of weighs heavy on your mind? Or, you know, do you suggest that officers, you know, kind of have a refresher conversation with somebody just to kind of maintain that i mean because it'd be beneficial i believe but you know what do you feel as far as you know the ongoing i'm not going to say treatment because that makes it sound like somebody has a problem but you know how do you suggest or how do you handle like the ongoing uh mental health treatment which we all need uh this, something that i could add is when you're having to go out and seek someone to talk to about about feelings, incidents, emotions, it seems to be harder to do that than to have someone on a regular basis you can talk to. Um, you feel more comfortable. I, I think it would be beneficial for departments to actually have someone to be able to to check in on you. I think that would be better. You would get a good relationship with them. You know, they're coming to you asking you, how are you doing? Do you have anything on your mind? You know, what's going on? It's easier to me to speak to someone like that than to reach out. It, it seems like it's a lot harder to actually have to reach out to someone when you have things going on. That's a great point. Um, that's yeah, a real really, great point. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. And um, I'll tell you, I mean, for me, it was, it was really difficult to find somebody I could trust. You know, until I did, you know, I, like I said before, I just I pretty much kept it to myself. But when I did find some folks that I could trust, uh, dude, it was huge. And then, you know, it reciprocated back because, I mean, when I started reaching out and, and started looking for that help, um, the word kind of got out, if you will. And people started coming to me, and which made it just so much better for me because then I started realizing that. Hey man, I'm you know the, one of the biggest things you can learn from this is I'm not the only one. There's plenty of other guys that are going through similar things or worse things than what I'm going through, and to you know not that you need to roundtable or have a, like a group session, but when you can 
bring more guys on board, uh, that just makes it that much better. So. You know, and I mean, and I'm, I'm glad John just said that because I mean that's a great point as well too, to where, you know, because. I seek out like policies and things like that that will improve the quality of life for the officers, period. You know, and if mandates were put in to where law enforcement agencies, they had that regular spot check to where it didn't, you know, because again, you know, uh, one of the conversations we've had on a previous broadcast was about the sergeant major that, uh, you know, he'd walk into psych every week just to make sure that all of his men seen him going into psych and he never really needed to see psych. He just wanted to go in there just to show the guys that it was okay to do that. You know, it's like the leaders leading by example, which, you know, we don't have a lot of that nowadays. There are agencies like you just stated, John, that, you know, we are blessed that, you know, our chief lieutenants or, you know, our superiors are that open, but, you know, by having the superiors and, you know, the, the hierarchy, you know, have that sequence to where it does make it more comfortable because, you know, instead of somebody having to see me go in and talk to psych because of a critical coincidence that I just ran into or I just witnessed something that's bothering me. And then, you know, brothers and sisters seeing you going in, they're like, oh, my God, he's got, he's got issues to where, you know, and just as if somebody came up for a review, you know, they, they'll call you in or to bring you and go over the review. But, you know, having something like that to where does it have to be weekly? No, it doesn't have to be weekly. But, you know, them doing that to where they do call you in there. Hey, you know, Officer Hall, I just wanted to bring you in here to just, you know, see how things have been going for you. You know, I can because obviously they're going to see every uh, every incident that you had to respond to. You know, so, oh, hey, how this incident turned out for you. And just a spot check. You know, because and that would be huge. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I didn't even kind of think about that to where it's that would, I think, have a lot more officers being able to open up and to kind of crack that shell a little bit. You know, that way we can actually empty the bottle instead of waiting for that bottle to explode. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, that's a great point. And I mean, it's just because sometimes like the vast majority of us don't like to ask for help or admit we need help. So something like that really would kind of eliminate us really having to ask unless that incident came, you know, so. Um, a couple of things that's kind of on my mind is one, supervisors need to be on the same page. Uh, I worked for another agency where we had a sergeant and a lieutenant on our shift and our sergeant had, had went through some, some stuff with the department. Basically, he got screwed over the department. He had a, a big attitude, um, head of investigations, you know, he, he thought he was everything. But when that happened to him, it really brought him back down to, I guess, reality and started listening to his, his people, started talking to him, started really caring about the people that work for him. However, our lieutenant over him, had the old school callous almost don't care attitude he would rather micromanage than listen to his guys talk about any kind of problem even though our sergeant was easy to go to it kind of hurts that when your lieutenant is is just so callous about everything now it, it kind of makes you not want to go to who you can because you think well what I tell him is going to get back to, you know, his supervisor. And, and now it's going to look exactly how I don't want myself to look. Um, as well as you, you would think terms shouldn't make that big of a difference, but just, just the fact that you've got someone within your department called a psychiatrist, that automatically makes a lot of people not want to go. Just the term is, is synonymous with crazy. And nobody wants to be crazy. He's seen the head shrink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, great. Be, so you could be more right about that. You know, and the big problem that I saw with my my superiors was that, you know, my, my sergeant wanted me to fear him because his boss, his lieutenant, wanted him to fear him as well. And so, you know, the lieutenant wouldn't let the sergeant go outside the lines and so forth. That got, you know, that got kind of brought down the chain to me. 
And so I kind of felt like I couldn't speak my mind about what was going on with me. So again, um, it turned out, I mean, I, I kind of spoke badly earlier about that whole situation. It really wasn't as bad as I made it out to be. Uh, the, the, the incidents were as bad as they're going to ever get for, for me personally. But what I did to fix myself um, ended up being a really good thing. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to my, my superiors at that point. And so instead of doing that, I went outside the lines, literally. I mean, I went, because um, we all know we go to the same drink, which is great. I mean, ours is awesome. But she already had a protocol in, in place for what, you know, as long as she's collecting her check, she wants to get to, get the guys back out on the street. And God bless her. I mean, she did a great job. But, you know, she wasn't objective at all. I mean, flat out. I mean, she already had a pre-written letter. All she's going to do is check a couple boxes, ask ask three or four questions and then send us back out there, uh, which I, I plainly recognized was not okay for my situation. For the average guy, um, you get into a shooting or critical incident or whatever, and you get sent over there, and, and you know you're okay. You know it's not a big deal because my first three, that's how I was. I was like, okay. I mean, this is – it really truly wasn't that big of a deal. But my fourth one was the biggest deal ever, and then I knew it wasn't okay. So that, that checkboxing shit on that one was not going to cover what I needed to cover. So, again, uh, I went outside the lines and sought some professional help. Um, and, again, the, the biggest thing for me, the hugest thing that made a difference for me was as soon as I walked in the door, she immediately built that trust that I so desperately needed. You know, And after that, it was like, it was, it was perfect. And that's not easy to do. Believe me, what I say, especially with cops, as you guys know, I mean, we're a pain in the ass about about trusting people with our emotions, particularly, especially when it's something that affects you so so deeply, you know. And to be able to open up to somebody that's a stranger, especially, that's 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 tough for us. So I think that's a huge thing that you can find if you can. Some guys aren't going to be able to find that, you know. So. And they're just like John just said about the, the word psychologist being on that door. You know what I mean? Or psych, a psychiatrist, you know, being on that door. I mean, it plays a large role because, it's you know, again, you know, we're supposed to be strong individuals that, you know, the public trusts and that our fellow brothers and sisters can trust as well, too. Oh, wait, he's seeing that psychiatrist. I mean, John, you've had two great points on that door, you know, and what, what aggravates me is, you know, it isn't even just in law enforcement, but you know, policy in general to where it, it takes a fucking tragedy to even make something happen. So like what you just said, John, in regard to your lieutenant to where, you know, everybody's oh, rah, 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 until something happens to you. Oh, hey, hey, you know what? It'd probably be a good idea for us to put this policy in the play to where, you know, others are able to reach out. But it's, I mean, it's huge to, because, you know, again, regardless of how bad we want to talk to somebody, us thinking about the persona that, you know, we're supposed to uphold for ourselves and for the public to, you know, have trust in us and, you know, our superiors to know that I'm the guy that's supposed to be out there on patrol, you know, it's, it, it plays a large role. So it's the, you know, how do we find that equal medium? And, you know, a lot of times that, you know, roll call, I've, I've stressed this and I stress this and I stress this, that, you know, roll call is always going to be the best place to address something, to let somebody know that a service is available, or to even just have that open floor discussion about, you know, because then if you're doing it in a group, you know, and being able to share certain things that are bothering me or something of a call that I responded to yesterday, and me being able to share that with the brothers and sisters in the room, and then the other ones in that room hearing that, well, hey, you know what, I, I experienced that a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of wanted to talk about this. You know, you don't have to have a, a four-hour roll call, you know, because when we start talking, we start rolling. But, you know, and it's just – it is that small step that could lead into, you know, more brothers and sisters feeling more comfortable about coming out and speaking about things that really bother them. You know, because then if you're bagging all that, then you come home, you know, whether you're, you know, significant other, you know, if you got kids at home or there's so many other factors that now because of all that baggage you're carrying in your head – you're bringing that home to them as well. And it's just, it's not fair to, it's not fair to either of you. It's not fair to every law enforcement officer out there, you know, so there does have to be something that's put into play. And, you know, I couldn't agree with John Moore in regard to, you know, erase the psychiatrist off the door tag, you know, just, you know, having somebody to come that actually calls you in there. 
you know, whether it's a weekly review, monthly review, or, you know, you know, bi- bi-weekly or whatever. I mean, something has to be put in play. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this right here, because the more we expose certain things like this, you know, we need to humanize law enforcement. You know, there's so much scrutiny against law enforcement to where, you know, every brother and sister out there, you know, has to stand even stronger. So now it's like, well, if I admit I have something on my mind, you know, how's everybody else going to be viewing me? So, you know, it, it does need to have something put into place to where, you know, brothers and sisters are more comfortable on going in or speaking to somebody to where instead of having a knock on that door or have a psychiatrist up there, you know, just bringing individuals in for a review, you know, whether it's done in a group setting, whether it's done in an individual setting or anything else like that, it really does need to take bigger steps into promoting the mental health and well-being of every law enforcement officer nationwide. So, I mean, it's the... Yeah, I, and I think that it really needs to be something that you can do on more of a regular basis. Uh, because it seems to me once you want to bottle things up and there's a difference in being able to go and talk to somebody on a regular basis, you know, let out the things that are bothering you versus keeping it bottled in to the point that it's very emotional for you and you feel like I'm not going to be able to talk to somebody and keep my composure. You know, I'm, I'm going to be, be very upset. I may, I may cry. I may break down. And that really makes them not want to have to talk to somebody because they feel like that, that really does make them look weak. 100%. No, no officers that I know want to have that feeling or, or be viewed as that. And, and, well, and this is a hard show to crack. I mean, Christopher, you and I spoke about this multiple times as far oh, as yeah. the breaking down and crying. It's just like, I mean, it's good for our souls and everything else, too. But that, that caring about what the next person is going to think, it's, it's well, it's Yeah, and I'll tell you my, my theory on that. A uh, couple of different directions here. So, you know, with my heat here, I realized, man, you can't go through all the shit that we go through and expect to be okay. Because you're not. You're, you're not going to be okay. But you got to get to that point where you say, you know what, it's okay to not be okay. And when I realized that, you know, seeing, I know because you keep bringing it up, but psychiatrist on the door. Uh, when I got to that point where I said, I'm a fucking mess and I need to fix myself, the caring about that, the psychiatrist on the door and what my squad mates thought was gone. I didn't care anymore because I knew, and this is how it worked out really good for me because I knew that I wasn't okay. These guys can't depend on me because if I'm out there and I'm all, you know, I'm all freaking jacked up. I was just telling a story that I completely forgot about the other day. Um, the first couple of days back on the street after my, my major incident, um, I got a mark car behind me. I got a mark car in front of me. I'm sitting plain clothes in a, in a car with another guy who I'm very well trusted. And dude, I am like hyper paranoid. I can't sit still. I am. I'm like almost on anxiety panic and i knew right then and there that if i was going to act that way god forbid i mean i'm just sitting in a car in an unmarked car plain clothes strapped to the gill with my rifle and everything else and i knew that if something happened we got out on the street and i started acting that way in real life after or before another whatever it was it could have just been the warrant pick up something small and i started wigging out those, those guys are never going to trust me and I and I knew that, and I started saying to myself, "Man, I gotta I gotta get my shit straight because somebody's going to get killed because I'm not going to be able to perform like I need to," you know. So, uh, and I, I would like to add to that, Christopher. Uh, like you said, when you got to that point, you realized you were a mess that you had to do something about it. That kind of, to me, comes back down to the: Do I have somebody that I can talk to prior to getting to such such a, a a mess, I guess, for lack of better words. But it, it seems like when when officers get to that point, a lot of them, all it takes is the thought that I can't open up to anybody. You know, I'm a mess. I can't open up. They can't know this stuff. And, you know, they end up getting carried by six. Right. Well, that's, that's the challenge right there is getting us past that point where it's, you know, dude, I mean, again, you can't, you can't pull a freaking dead baby out of a pool and not be affected by that shit. You're gonna be, and you know, I. It's not that I don't respect opinions of my peers, but if they don't understand that you're that you're messed up, 
you know what? I, there's a pretty good chance I don't want to work with those guys anyways. You know, I mean, I trust them with my life. Went into a door. And this is what a really good friend of mine says. He said it best. He goes, why is it we can ask for help on the street, but we can't ask for help in our personal lives? I'm like, God, that, dude, that's fucking, that's a, it couldn't be more accurate, right? You know, so, um, but you couldn't be more right about what you said, people, John. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, we've got to, we got to take those steps prior to. And if you, if you're like me, like so many other guys, you don't pay attention to the details and it's too late. Um, you've already kind of, you've already crossed that threshold that now you're not okay. Which is, kind of, I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. That's perfectly fine. You've got to come to that realization that you want to say, you know what? I want to be okay. And if you can, if you can say that to yourself, I guarantee, dude, I am, I am the freaking poster child for being completely fucked up and coming back full circle. So, you know, so. I'm not going to say I've lied in experiences, which I, I actually deal with some, some actual depression, not necessarily brought on by the job, but I have learned to be able to use it in, in my line of work and really be able to handle calls better. I've actually been able to sympathize with people on some of these calls and they, they really respond well to that. Um, like I had talked to Michael, uh, I believe it was yesterday. Mm. I had an incident where I got a fight call and it was a 18 year old, highly intoxicated 18 year old had got into it with his mom and stepdad. Uh, I, he was sitting, the 18 year old, he was sitting down with no shirt on. Of course, that caught my attention. And his attitude, his demeanor, he, he basically told me to take him to jail. He didn't care. He wanted to go to jail, wouldn't calm down. He was very, very upset. And so I arrested him and I got him in the car. I talked to his mother. She said that he did have some, some bipolar issues and he wasn't medicated. He quit taking his medicine. So, okay, well, I've, I've been through some of this. A lot of times it doesn't help, but it's worth a shot. So we spoke on the way to the jail. I they talked about the doctor. He said that he was afraid he would get addicted to the medicine. You know, I explained, no, that's not going to happen. If you're on the stuff you need to, to, to be on, that's not going to happen. It's not narcotic. Um, you know, it's okay going to the doctor, talking to people. It's okay to take medicine. And kind of told him some of my experiences that I've been through and I've handled. And uh, he got to the jail. He he thanked me for, for being so nice. And he was talking to the jailer about me being nice once I was leaving. But two weeks later, two weeks, I had got a message to call him about court. I did, I did not know what it was about. And uh, I couldn't get a hold of him, but I, I did research, got a hold of his mom, talked to her. And then I was able to talk to him the next day and she verified everything that he told me within two weeks. He had quit drinking. He had started in going to a doctor. He had got on medication and he had actually started, not only started a job, he had just got offered when I talked to him, another job for a welding and which we know how, how well that can go. But I've, I've, I've helped people, but I have never had anybody in my career in two weeks turn their life around that that much so michael i know what you're going to say but i'm going to cut you off because i'm going to i'm going to make my point and then i know you're going to make it even better than i can so when uh so my history i mean really a long story short basically we, we got ambushed um we lost an officer it was a, a, a fucking worst gunfight you can imagine um but what i learned from that experience was how much good came out of that tragedy and now you are standing here telling me the exact same thing that because of what you lived through, you became a negotiator and a vehicle for this other kid. So, dude, you have you have more than reached your goal to, uh, to you know to help people because I mean that's that's and beyond, man. So, that's awesome. So, go ahead, Michael. Well, I know you well, well, no, no, I, I really don't because it's just going to touch base on a you taking the time to write the book. You know, taking an incident that, you know, was a tragedy, but being able to utilize that and putting your real life experience to our fellow brothers and sisters were able to read that book and be exposed to that. And I even told John, I said, you know, it's, you know, essentially going back. I mean, every day you go out there, you have a chance to reinvent somebody's life flat out. You know what I mean? It just 
having that simple conversation on the way to the jail, whether it was a two minute ride or a 20 minute ride, you know, you being able to, you know, have that real life conversation, it humanizes law enforcement altogether. You know what I mean? Because you just see so much negative just pushed and pushed and pushed at law enforcement to where you have that general conversation. You stop in at business owners and speak to them, you know, throwing, stopping and throwing a ball with a kid or something like that. Or even just having a conversation with somebody that ultimately, you know, started in a negative situation. You now not only, you know, just kind of talk them down and de-escalate the situation of them being irate with any kind of domestic dispute that they were having with their parents, John, you, you know, you ultimately, A, you de-escalate it, and then you provided him, you know, the, the knowledge, and you even gave him real life, and you related it to yourself. I mean, there's nothing greater that you can do for an individual than relating yourself and, and sharing your own personal with, you know, a subject or a genre. You know, it's like the, hey, this is what I experienced myself, too, you know, it's never be too to go out there and do that, but... I mean, you literally reinvented his life, like you just said, in two weeks, just by a simple conversation. And I say this all the time, is that we walk by people every day. Hey, how you doing today? How you doing today? How you doing? To where you listening to them ultimately could change their life, could save their life. You know, somebody could be thinking about killing themselves. How you doing today? Oh, I'm glad you asked me. You know, because the majority of America, you know, the majority of us, we ask people that just as something to say in passing. You know, but as soon as they start to break down to us or share us a real life experience, it's like, oh, I, I got to be heading down right here. I didn't expect this to be a long conversation. You know, we really don't care about those individuals, man. And it's, it's, you didn't have to even have that conversation. You know, you could have just been a mute all the way down to the jail and he could have been so bitter and he could have got out. And because of his bitterness, having to stay time in jail, he could have actually digressed in his addiction or the drink everything else and you know ultimately been dead you know so it's it's kind of what you did i had to explain that to him too i said your age and he he wasn't just drunk that that day he stayed drunk that's how he even told me he coped that was a regular thing with him and i, I told him i said your age and what you're doing you're at a crossroad either you can change it now or we're going to be seeing each other a whole lot more and I mean, I like you, but I hope we don't have to, to talk to each other on a regular basis. But it also seems like if, say, suicidal, you know, it, it just seems like if two people go up to them and be like, man, you don't want to do this, you've got stuff to live for, this and this, it, it honestly seems like the person talking to them that has actually been through it will connect with them more than the second person who hasn't been through it, but is telling them the same exact thing. It, it seems like it, it just connects more when you actually been through it yourself. Well, and people can read that too. I mean, they will know instantly if you're full of shit. Now don't get me wrong. You could be a great negotiator and you can talk to people, um, but there's a difference between knowing, knowing the past and walking the past, you know, to quote freaking the matrix. I mean, that's, it could be more true. Now, obviously a suicidal thing, that's a little bit different because that's, you know, that's a whole nother freaking can of worms there. But, um, so I'm going to go off track just a little bit here and, and just let you know that there's potentially going to be a, not a problem. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to try to illustrate this as a problem. Um, this kid you've been helped as a really high probability. He's going to reach out to you again. Okay. Which is great. Now don't get me wrong. Way back in my day when I was on, um, I built that trust with my community. That was pretty much what I did. I was a neighborhood enforcement guy. Um, and I still, to this day, even I haven't worked in that area in 20 years, probably now, or whatever it is, there's still people that call me for help when they won't call the cops. Um, and so the, again, the small minor issue that can be that is that's, that's a brand new balance you're going to have to figure out. Okay. It's like, how much time do I dedicate when I'm home with my family to this guy? Because you don't want to, you don't want to leave this guy hanging. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not wearing a badge today, even though my girlfriend says it best. She goes, have you even though been retired for three years? She goes, did you ever really take off your uniform? I'm like, no, I guess I guess I really didn't. So it's, it's the exact same thing with you with this situation. And I hope that this is a huge freaking revelation for you that you're going to realize that, man, I have I have a specialized talent that maybe you always knew about, or maybe just got 
just got brought to light for the first time. Maybe it's been going on for quite a while. This could just be one example of a hundred that you have. Um, but this could be one of those type of things where now you've re, you've kind of reinvented yourself a little bit, and now you're going to start getting more and more feedback from folks that are going to want to reach out to you. Uh, and that's where you got to make the balance, whatever that is. And that's a good thing. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong, because uh, that's just another way to just save more lives, you know. So I think I hopefully made my point there. And, and, and something like that's actually very satisfying but refreshing. Oh, yeah. I go to 100 calls, almost the same thing, and explain everything I did to him, and it doesn't matter. Right. They don't change anything. But when you have that one that works, it, it kind of makes you want to try to start helping more. Dude, that's I know, man. Burn out. <laughs> That's huge. I mean, Michael, you read that story about that kid. He was actually in, uh, I guess I can say it now. It's in, it was in Memphis. And uh, that kid came up to me and started talking. When you read the story, you get a chance, John. You'll, uh, I guarantee that's probably, if, if any story in that book resonates with you, it'll be that one. So, uh, and it is huge, you know, and it's, the, it's kind of like with AA and NA. You know, if, if you look at success rates, it is so low, but the program is still considered successful. Why? Because that one life that did get changed or that progression that did happen was worth it. You know, and John, just what you just said, as far as the, you know, out of, you know, the hundreds of, you know, calls you've responded to, you know, having that one whose life really did heed your advice and, you know, they, they progressed, you know, positively in life and things like that. Whereas the, you know, I made joke. I made a joke with Chris and Chris. You know, the one of the other broadcasts about the the scared straight program for law enforcement. You know, you know, but it's uh, a lot of times just by even asking a question, regardless if you're really listening or not, like that. You know, asking a question to present the hey, I care. You know, it's the a lot of people lose focus on what law enforcement, what individual, what officers when we sign up what our real passion is about, about making that difference, about improving community, you know, to where, you know, public's eye is just, oh, you're out there arresting people. And that's not, that's not what you're out there doing. You're out there increasing, you know, the quality of life for the community by not only, you know, getting the bad guys off the streets, but also, I mean, ultimately converting that bad guy. I mean, realistically, because that one conversation you had and opening up to that, that individual about you know inviting your about your own personal life, but also having enough care to even provide him that guidance and suggestions about the hey, I mean, what's it going to hurt for you to go talk to the doctor? You know, try to take your meds. You know, and it's just that you're improving the quality of life for the community by removing a nuisance from the streets. But what you're doing also it's twofold. Now you're taking that nuisance, and ultimately by that just that five minute conversation. You can you just increase the quality of life not only for that individual but also their family now because now those parents whatever kind of issue they were having with their son just being a drunk all the time now him stopping drinking it's improving that quality of life for them so it's just a, a it's it's a ripple effect and it's it's beautiful what you've done and you, you really need to recognize that about yourself and I'm I'm glad you noticed it it's one of the things to where when something like that happens we notice it because it's like. Oh shit! This is fucking foreign. <laughs> this, this is pretty nice, you know. But it is, though. I mean, because you know, a lot of us when we go out there, you know, being in law enforcement, it's the a lot of times certain municipalities, cities, states, counties, wherever the case may be. There's so many like it, it's number based to where you have to have so many arrests. You have to, you know, if you're a traffic cop, you have to have so many different tickets written. To whereas the that's not really the the whole spectrum of the job. It's the, well, hey, I want to, you know, go out there and check on businesses, see how they're going, you know, throw a ball with a kid, you know, stop by a school and just, you know, talk to the kids and stuff like that. It's it's little things like, like that that improve quality of life for everybody. And then the individuals you do have to arrest, I mean, that's it's perfect, John. I mean, just asking them a question. You know, you could have just done it in just general conversation just to kind of de-escalate, but look what it turned into. You know what I mean? It's just a... Well, I'll tell you what, man. If anytime you can have a guy thank you for taking him to jail, that's my favorite. You know, yes. I've had plenty of those where I've had guys. You know, I mean, it's been a knockdown, dragout. 
you know, obviously I win the fight at the end. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not faking the apology, but I'm apologizing to the guy because, dude, I mean, I'm sorry I had to stump you, but you know, you kind of made me do it. You understand why, right? You know, I'm dusting them off, you know, and I'm, and I'm making it look like it's, it's kind of more my fault sometimes. And then they realize that, oh, dude, it's not your fault. It's, you know, I'm the one that did it for myself, you know. And they're like, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't know that. And what I found with that oftentimes is that, you know, the next time they want to they want to go toe to toe with the cops or they want to commit a crime, sometimes, and I'm not trying to be too naive here, but sometimes I might give them some pause going, ah, you know what? I, I got some teeth knocked out in that since the last time I pulled this shit. Maybe I shouldn't do that again. Or, you know, I don't want to disrespect. You know, Officer Hall, because he's a good fucking dude, you know, and I don't want him coming over to, to try to arrest me again to put him in that situation. Does that happen? Nah, not that often, but yeah, it does happen. I mean, I've actually had guys tell me that before. Or, Man, I didn't want to, like, I had a guy to put a hit out on me. <clears throat> you know, I hated having to do that because you're a good dude, but, you know, I got to take care of myself kind of a thing. I'm like, well, that's fucking great. Thanks. But, <laughs> you know, whatever. So, just like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until so they get hit in the mouth. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Now, now, John, with, uh, now, I mean, you, you, you shared that incident with us. Have there ever, have you ever had an incident to where, you know, whether you were responding to a call or you did an arrest and conversation or the actual incident that happened, was there any incidents that actually just laid in your mind to where it was just, regardless of everything you've seen before, have you ever, like, you don't have to share the incident, but, I mean, have you been exposed to different incidents or, or individuals that kind of just mentally was just like, wow, you know what I mean? Uh, I'll kind of touch on this, and then I've got to uh, head out to the dinner and get to my uh, department dinner. But uh, <laughs> there's stuffed animals flying over here, so I think my five-year-old. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I I can take a little satisfaction out of is there's there's one guy in particular in town. He's he's younger. I want to say he's maybe twenty-three, and even his grandma. He's had a lot of problems. He's got mental issues. Um, he's got some abuse, substance abuse issues, but due to the way I've treated him, he will listen to me and she will straight up tell you, he, he will not listen. He will not cooperate with anybody else, but if it's you, he will. And I believe it. I've had an incident where he, he had got into it with his neighbors, went back home, got a machete and a sword. <laughs> I guess you wanted a variety. I'm not sure, but. He went down to the house, and for some reason he put him down. I don't, I don't understand why he got him just to put him down. But when I showed up, he was irate, yelling. I mean, you could tell he was just ready to throw down. And when I pulled up, I was like, "Hey, you know, put your hands behind your back." And uh, he's like, "Man, you're not risking the audio." I was like, "Dude, put your hands behind your back right now." And as mad as he was, he turned around, put his hands behind his back, and and let me handcuff him. I mean, it's sometimes. The way you treat people really will affect future calls. You know, if I had if I had just been rude and and you know rough with a guy, I probably would have had to fight him that time. But you know, I didn't. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna have to jump off here. I hate to. I've had fun. Oh no no no! It's the uh, I, yeah. I I I I, I appreciate your time today. And like I said, I, I would love. You know, because uh, Chris, Chris and I, we're going to be starting a series on this because mental health is a huge, huge, huge thing. And, you know, if you knew anybody that wanted to invite on as well, too, but I would love to have you back on, have you a part of the conversation, you know, and especially like I, I know so much busy schedules and everything else, you know, we'll communicate and kind of find that right date, that right time. That way, you know, as far as the advertisement of the, the show to where we can actually have more individuals tuning in and where we can have an open discussion, have a chat line and stuff like that going with all of us and stuff. But John, Hey, thank you so much for giving us the time today. And I look yes, forward dude. to speaking to you again. And thank you. I, I'm going to meet you, man. Right on. Stay in touch. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I will add and then get off here is I, I know people are wondering the sun setting and my head is not actually that shiny. <laughs> hey, I like your haircut, by the way. <laughs> Maintain. Get bedhead. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate talking to you. We'll definitely be back in touch.
Cool. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, John. You yeah, stay man. safe and stay blessed. Enjoy the dinner. Cool. Right, thank, thank you, man. Yeah. All right. Michael, you staying on for a sec? Yes, sir. Nope. Right on. I'm actually still at work. I'm just waiting for my uh, my partner to show up so he can take us home. Uh, but awesome. uh, yeah, yeah the, uh, the, uh, I'm sitting here circling it like you can see my mouse cursor. But I was I was because uh, the, there was a lot of feedback because of that how the microphone was hanging right here. That's why oh, I muted yeah. you. Yeah, the, the chewing and the thing. Oh, sorry was about that. oh no, you're good. Probably because I'm chewing like a freaking madman here. So <laughs> no, it's uh, so, awesome. so um. On the uh, on the mental health side, you know, it was the I know kind of short notice, kind of like you, you're on I's first broadcast. You know, it was the short notice, so you know, being able to get everything put together. Because I even reached out to to Chris, you know, asking to come on here and stuff as well too. But you know, the mental health aspect of it, you know, it's the it really needs to be addressed. And you know, that's why, you know, John wanted to come on here and, you know, share kind of the incidences and things like that. So, you know, since we're still live and we still have, you know, the viewers on here, you know, how, how much into like the mental health aspect I know your book does a large part as far as, you know, providing that guidance and that training and that readiness for other individuals. But it's the, you know, how do you maintain that and continue on in that as far as addressing guys? Like what are some of the biggest suggestions that, I mean, I know we kind of covered, you know, quite a few of them while John was on here, but what kind of suggestions do you have for like the brothers and sisters out there that, you know, if the superiors aren't doing it, how to actually engage that conversation to, you know, find somebody to talk to. Yeah, that's that's really tough, man. I'll tell you, for me, and as you know directly, but for the guys that don't don't know my story, um, specifically, I mean, breaking it down just into the mental portion, because that, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the mental portion is the very beginning, and that's where you do all your what I did, playing the what if thing, uh, getting yourself, you know, like in the hiring process, and um, after talking to you the other night, Natalie wanted to read a story out of the book. So we listened to it on the audible for a little while. And I had been reminded that my Academy staff mentally set me up for, for success on the street by all the freaking, you know, all the finger pointing and harassing and the push-ups and all the freaking yelling and screaming. And I'm like, Holy shit. So when I got out on the street, I was already mentally prepared to deal with so much stuff long before I ever even realized it. I'm like, wow. And so I continued on with that, with that mental preparation, which I talk a lot about in the book where it's, you know, again, one of my biggest things playing that what if game, you know, what if I'm sitting in my car and a guy approaches me, what if, you know, I'm coming around the corner to face a guy with a knife or whatever it is. And then, so that's going to transition into what could end up being either just a simple radio call or it could be a, like in my case, it was a critical incident to where I had to go through my use of force continuum in about a second, you know, and I had played that what if game so many times that when it came time to go hands on and pull the trigger, I was right where I needed to be. Um, now, how to maintain that? Um, once you start getting some uh, getting some chinks in your armor, you know, and you start realizing that, man, I'm starting to see some bad stuff. I need to, need to take a step away. Um, again, I think it boils down to to awareness that, hey, you know what, I am not okay. Um, but I, I want to be okay. And again, if I've, I've harped on this so many times. If you want to be okay, you will. You can find the help, whatever it is. Guys like you, obviously, I'm 24-7 I'm available for anybody that wants, you know, just a kick in the ass or guidance or shoulder, punching bag, whatever it is, man, any of the above. Um and again, finding someone you can trust to speak with, you know, and I know a lot of agencies uh, are going to the EAU, EAP protocol, um, you know, and don't be, don't be stingy like we are with cops, you know, as cops, I should say that you, you walk in there and you find one guy. Cause there were, there were probably three or four dudes at our EAU that I really, really liked, but I didn't feel like I could trust with, you know, the heavy stuff. Cause these guys were, were guys that I worked with on the street. And, you know, we're in that in that situation where it's like, man, we're, we're ripping guys out of cars and doing all the fun shit. And I didn't kind of feel like I could share, you know, more of the intimate side of what I was doing. And as it turned out, I found the one and it wasn't because she was a female that had absolutely nothing to do with it. Uh -huh. Because uh, 
but because he said exactly the right things, and I was like, holy shit, she's playing this Jedi mind trick on me, which was completely <laughs> awesome, right? Um, and so she immediately built that trust with me because this is how, this is what she, and this all was on the phone. I mean, this the whole entire thing was on the phone with her. And so that made it so much easier for me to transition from the mental preparation and now I'm, I'm kind of not feeling okay to where now that is ramping up into the emotional side where the emotional stuff starts to take over. And that's where it becomes very, uh, uh, what's the word? You, you've really got to pay attention to that, that your, your emotions are starting to take over. And in my particular case, when my emotions took over, it was in, it was in a bad way because I started, you know, more uses of force, more snapping at people, more fucking losing my temper. You know, and it's like, wait a second, I'm, I'm not that guy. What's going on here? And before, That's true. before Dave happened, I was able to take a step back and realize that, hey, man, I got I got to kind of fix myself a little bit. And then, of course, you know, it all happened. We all know what happened with Dave. Um, and then I just, my emotional state of mind was so screwed up after that. It just took forever to fix. But that's a whole other four-hour conversation so i mean it's 100 percent though and it's just that you know a lot of individuals like when you said about the academy when like military you know i tell people this all the time you know they're not beating you down to tear you down they're beating you down so that you can take it you know some people are probably thinking that shit i need a psychiatrist or i need to go see mental health after the beat down and basic training you know what i mean but it's the it's it's to get you ready for real life but in the same sense it's the how much of that real life are you really going to be able to take you know so it's the like uh chris gregorio was saying as far as the the carnage you know what people really sign up for this shit if they seen the carnage you know that you know the previous wars were you know outside of like us having the media that we have today you know but the same thing with law enforcement to where you know you've touched on it a few times as far as what did it for some guys, you know, and it's understandable, like, and I don't want to say what did it for you, you know, because realistically what I feel transpired was what happened to Dave. Okay. And, you know, David Glasser, you know, and so that didn't do it for you. I think what happened was that incident took place. And I believe that, you know, in your heart of hearts and really subconsciously, I think what happened was you seen what happened to David Glasser and you wanted to make sure that that didn't happen to another David Glasser, you know, and you didn't step out. Chris. You didn't, you know, you yeah. took what happened to David and you, you put down a training manual that I'm not going to say guaranteed, but it did ensure to where every law enforcement brother and sister is able to ready themselves so that it doesn't happen or that they're more mindful of their partners or the individuals, you know, next to them, because it is an important, you know, conversation, you know, and John was talking about how, you know, with his department, you know, he, he said it was a smaller department to where, you know, they have six individuals and, you know, enough, of course, you know, for the 20, 24 hour shifts, but it, it, if it's not exposed and if you don't have the people, you know, having that conversation, it, you know, how much of it's really readying them? Yeah, the physicality part's there, but, you know, what, what part of training is going to say, hey, Michael, when you get fucked up, this is the people you need to talk to, you know what I mean? Other than being forced, right. you know, well, and. I think you hit on it. I mean, what do we got? Like sixty hours of firearms training and like, <laughs> eight hours of mental health training. You know, it's like, dude. And what are we dealing with? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, you know me, I'm a gun guy. I mean, of all the shit that I've done, you know, there's no question about it. I think being a firearms expert is is paramount. But how often in anybody's career are you really using They use utilize those skills, you know, versus the mental side of thing where you're doing it every single freaking day virtually almost every call that you go on there's going to be some kind of mental something you have to deal with it could be a basic car accident where i mean i had one the other day i was i was walking out 7-eleven i hear this kid gets hit by a car on his bicycle and everybody ran over to the kid he was fine he was, i mean he got his got the wind knocked out of him he got thumped a little bit but he was good 
nobody was talking to the driver of the car and <laughs> she gets out and she's, you know, and I hadn't, I had honestly, I hadn't responded to anything like that. And it's been years and I'm talking to her and she's, I mean, she's like falling down crying and I was getting pretty emotional. I'm like, Oh my God. And it was, a, I mean, it wasn't a major thing by any stretch of imagination. It was, a, it was a minor crash, no big deal. But it was a major thing to her. It was a very major thing to her, yeah. And I, I picked up on her emotions, and she saw that I was getting emotional with her, and it turned into this really neat thing. And she got, she got, oh my God, thank God that somebody is. And she didn't say it so many words, but she could see that, you know, of the twenty people that were there, twenty five of them went to the kid, and nobody went to her except for me. I was the only one. And, and it, it goes to the like i mean you and i have spoken about this a hundred times over in regard to the sidelines you know a bystander seeing somebody get hit by a car they might have just like looked over just in time to see him get hit you know and like you just said they're responding to the bicyclist but you know was he crossing at the right time with the crosswalk or you know it's the out of sight out of mind of like what really happened right to where right. The, the person that was really affected by it was the driver, you know? I yeah, mean, no, think about the metal thing on that to where, oh my God, I could have killed him. Even though he's doing jumping jacks right now, you know, that what if, that mind game that we all play at times as far as the, the what if, you know, goes into the effect. Yeah. Hey, can I put you on hold for a second? Absolutely. We're getting, I think we're getting ready to take off and head home. So, uh, uh okay. Well, yeah. uh, well, I mean, we, we can sign off and because I'd like to, uh, because I know Chris is sitting at poolside in uh, Vegas right now, you know, because he was going to jump on if possible. But uh, let, me, uh, let me get with Chris and see, because we might have another conversation about this that, we're, you know, we can touch on this later on. Or, you know, if you're up to doing another chapter of your book reading, I could just, I could set one up real quick and send you over the link. Yeah, if uh, give me enough time to just get home and then uh, we'll pick it back up for you if you're down for that. Yeah, yeah, text me. Oh, absolutely. I, I love talking to people and raising awareness, especially on, you know, law enforcement side, military side, and, you know, everything else as well, too. So, I mean, I know a lot of this conversations that you and I have is, you know, geared towards us for law enforcement uh, veterans and, and active military personnel. But uh, I also do programs on addicts, alcoholics, battered women, displaced families, suicide prevention and stuff like that, too. So we can kind of expand this. I mean, I kind of want to have you on you know, a lot more of the shows and everything else as well, too. So absolutely. But uh, you know, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you you know, taking the time to jump on. I know uh, John appreciates it as well. I thank all the listeners. You know, and if you guys want to uh, follow the page, the truth page as well, too, we'll be having more of these series. If anybody has any suggestions on topics you'd like to discuss, you know, you can email Chris, you know, his email is scrolling across the bottom there, or, you know, reach out to me. Everybody stay safe and stay blessed in all things. Thank you so much again, Chris. Bye, brother. Bye, brother. Bye, brother.